Hey, Brie, do you like scary movies? I do like scary movies, Adri. That's great, because today we're going to be talking about what's the obsession with scary stories. Today, we are joined by writer Pete Benswanger. So, Pete, can you talk a little bit about, uh, one, uh, what it is that you do and your experience with telling stories and things like that? Sure. Uh, so I think most people know me because I was a writer on Shadowhunters. Uh, I was on it for all three seasons, uh, kind of from the very beginning, um, and have been doing a lot of just TV writing in general uh, over the last couple of years. Shadowhunters was actually my first uh, staffed gig, but I'd been doing a lot of assistant work before that and kind of been in the entertainment industry around then. And um you know, kind of have always wanted to do storytelling type stuff, whether it's comic books or movies or TV or whatever. Um, and certainly scary stories and genre and sci-fi have all been kind of passions of mine. So, uh, yeah, I just love this stuff. It's, uh, it is something I have wanted to do for a long time and, um, am glad that I'm currently doing it. So you were in the Shadowhunters writer's room for three years and while Shadowhunters, I would definitely not consider it a horror show. It definitely had elements of horror, especially I want to say in like season three A and stuff, where we had like some kind of horrific kind of body. Like was that the season where we had the the the, the goopy like skin clumps or whatever? Yeah, we had a season where, where people... there's a lot of horror. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, what was your kind of thinking about, like, like, add, like, did you guys have like a quota or like a limit on how much horror you could add in or? No, I remember the first time I was like, oh, they're really letting us do this um, was when in season one, we chopped off Hodge's hand. <laughs> and not that that's totally horror. Uh, but I was like, wow, that we wrote it in and I was expecting it to kind of get tossed out by the network at some point, And it didn't. They're like, yeah, that's cool. Um and so, yeah, that was the, the first thing. And from there, we kind of just, you know, wanted to make stuff that was fun and exciting and uh, had some cool images. Matt Hastings was really into horror and was really good at shooting those scenes, um, as were Todd and Darren, you know, would come up with all kinds of stuff. I remember Todd had a similar thing where he was pitching the, like, skin clumps in some episodes. I'm like, there's no way they're going to let us have skin clumps. Uh, and, you know, it made it in. So... Uh, I will say that was definitely one of the things where I think we we do uh, on on uh, a plug for us. We run a site called Basic Stuff Magazine, and we do these these things called superlatives. And we gave I remember we gave that the there was a scene one of those episodes with like the most horrifying or like the most gruesome. We we gave it like a superlative for it. it was just like we couldn't even watch these scenes. They were so gory of like carving out runes off of skin. Like something about that was just like. Oh, this is super gross. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was like, how can you guys do that? No, I was, you know, season two, the show got a lot darker. Uh, and part of that was, was, um, Todd and Darren coming in and Matt and kind of doing different stuff. But, uh, yeah, it was, you know, it, it was, it was a lot of fun. Did, did you, was there anything that you tried to do that you did run up against opposition for? Yeah, I'm sure there was nothing is meeting, uh, immediately coming to mind. Um, in terms of like the actual violence or horror of it, a lot of it would be like, we literally cannot afford to do this crazy thing that you guys are proposing. Um, you know, like there's no car chases in this Shadowhunters budget, unfortunately. Um, yeah, but, 
there was nothing for the most part, you know, the network and was really good about that kind of stuff. Um, and let us kind of do what we wanted to within reason. Um, and by kind of season two and especially season three, we had an idea of what was doable and what we were allowed to do. So I think we were kind of hit our stride in that sense that we could write pretty much whatever we wanted. Um, and by season three, they were just kind of letting us get away with it. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it was, uh, you know, is there anything that you wish you could have like dug into more? I mean, I think I'm trying to think about like, you definitely showed some pretty gross stuff with vampires. I think actually probably for me, the most like gruesome scenes were like, uh, like actually I think Clary stabbing, uh, Jonathan in the mouth was actually oh, the most geez, like objective. The, yeah. So between that, I think that also won like a most horrifying moment. Like it was just so like, oh my god, like that's this is like a <laughs> yeah. Like I a think teen I call show that super freeform. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was saying, I think we definitely gave it something where we're like, this is a teen show and this is really gross. Uh, but I think those those things and then also the skin cutting kind of kind of yeah. uh, went in. Was there anything that you kind of like wish that you could have gone? Actually, no, 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 no. Burning bodies alive. That was really scary. I think it was season three B where you had uh, people were getting executed by the clave and yep. getting like burnt alive. That actually really stuck with me. That was so like just that was I was like oh I guess we just have to throw out the whole clave. I guess that the clave is pretty bad. Yeah, there, that was one of those I remember also being in script and I was like there's no way they're just gonna let us put people all burn them alive on freeform. There's just no way. And then, yeah, it just, they're like, yep, that's fine. Totally cool. And there's sometimes weird rules with what we could do and what we couldn't do. Um, I think there was a scene in season one. It might have been a demonic murderer thing or whatever, because we didn't have a lot of guns on the show. But there was a rule where someone had a gun to Simon's head, I think. I think Luke put a gun to Simon's head as kind of a, you know, when he was pretending to do it. I forget what it was. Or Simon put a gun to Luke's head. I don't remember. Um but you could have the gun pointed at someone's head, but you could not have or have the gun touching someone's head. S&P was not cool with that. Um, yeah, weirdly, the stuff that we really got bumped on more was like, you know, hey, no, too much side boob, not, you know, you can't, don't show that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, skin type stuff. Uh not that we ever had too much of that on the show anyway, but... Um, no, no. It's definitely not, like, super, like, necessarily that kind of sexy. But that is kind of yeah, just really... Not... Yeah, it's just kind of really funny that that's, like, uh, for a lot of kind of censors, that's where they draw the line. It's like, okay, yeah, of course, like, we can you have can people... You can stab them in the neck, but you can't have a boob. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. One of my favorite stories is from Hannibal. Um, I forget who told this to me. I, I don't know any writers from Hannibal, but this is from the writer's room where they had a guy who had been murdered and he was kind of strung up naked um and you could see his butt crack in the, in the <laughs> thing and the censors came back and said hey we can't show that guy's butt crack that's that's really bad and so the showrunner basically was like well what if we smeared it with gore would that be okay and they're like yeah that's as long as you cover his butt, butt crack with gore then it's all right <laughs> um so so what is your favorite horror movie? My favorite horror movie is The Orphanage, which is a Spanish movie in Spanish, which is probably one of the few um, Spanish language movies that I've actually stuck with me. It's actually stuck with me forever. The Orphanage is a really creepy and really sad and really horrifying movie. So it's got all the elements, I think, of, of what makes my favorite horror movies stick in my mind. 
That's a good what, one. What is the, what's the overall plot? He's like in an elevator pitch for the plot. Elevator pitch, a uh, woman purchases an orphanage and there are dead children in it. Cool. <laughs> really little, dark. They made it an American re-release of it too, I think. But I remember the, I forget. I saw, I think I saw both of them. If, unless I'm totally making this up. Uh, but yeah, you know, it, was... it's funny that uh, the, I think, we, I, I hope we get to talk about it a little bit later, but it's actually was a super staple of kind of horror movies in the 70s, the 60s and 70s to have kids, like creepy kids. So I'm sure that probably got remade in, in that yeah. time. That was like every other movie was coming out with scary kids and things to do with them. What is your favorite horror movie? Uh, I don't know. I would say it's probably for me between Jaws and Alien are definitely pretty high on my list. I think they're both kind of perfect movies. Um, I, I don't know if like I'm a weirdo and I don't get scared by a lot of stuff. I, I wouldn't say they're the scariest movies I've ever seen. Um, but uh, I can wait till we get to that section and say what the scariest thing we've ever seen is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think definitely I, my two favorite. Those are really great, too, because I think they deal with... Um, they have kind of crossover elements. But one, it's like not zombies or monsters. It's just a big shark. Yep. Which, which love that. <laughs> love that. Uh, and then, but then Alien, of course, is a fantastical element. But I really like when, when uh, stories have a bit of a crossover. Sure. Yeah. I mean, Alien also is just kind of expanding. You know, it's like a slasher movie, but in space. It's basically taking those, those tropes and, and taking it in, in a sci-fi direction. So it's also building on, you know, a a history of Halloween and all that other stuff too. So it's, it's, yeah, it's a good one. Something about Jaws that really sticks with people, I think, is that it's so realistic in a sense. Uh, not if you ask marine biologists, they'll they'll swear up and down that it's not realistic. But the fact that you can go to the beach and be terrorized really stuck with people. It really went into people's real life fears. So I think that Jaws is a big one for a lot of people. Yeah, I think the thing about Jaws that sticks with me is when you're in the ocean and you're kind of looking down, you, there's just that fear of the unknown. You don't know what's kind of down there, um, and it plays off it so well. And obviously, um, uh, this is something I'll talk about later, but I think a huge part of why that movie works, and this is kind of film school 101, is you don't see the shark, so it kind of lets you decide what it is and create kind of the fears for yourself. And, and uh, you know, it's... it's uh, you you provide the horror yourself in that way, which I think is always extremely effective. Um, I used to go to my grandparents' house. They live in New Hampshire on Lake Winnipesaukee, and uh, I can guarantee you there is nothing in that lake. But, you know, you look down and you don't see anything. It's scary. There's definitely no sharks, but I definitely was worried they were, you know, coming for me at some point. My favorite horror movie is uh, Coherence, and I don't know if you've seen that. Uh, it's a movie that has Xander from Buffy the Vampire Slayer in it. And I don't know if it's necessarily counts as a horror movie or a sci-fi, but I was, if we're looking at what the definition of horror is, I was significantly messed up about it for, for quite a long time. Uh, and it deals a lot with uh, parallel universes and, you know, parallel life. Have, have any of you guys seen it? I have not. I haven't. Oh, God. Okay. Oh, I don't want to ruin it for you then. Oh, but I do want to say what's scary. It just, it deals with just uncertainty and time. And there's a comet that goes overhead and things just go bananas while it's overhead. And it's just so unsettling that I was, me and my roommate, when we saw it, we weren't really expecting it. Cause, uh, and 
I just found myself really spooked out by my house for like to this day. <laughs> like if I go downstairs sometimes, I'll, I'll just be like really, really horrified. And it just genuinely scared me because I think that I find things that have to have just a tiny touch of science uh, to be be uh, a little bit horrifying. But I think the, the, the science side of it also is what made it really enjoyable for me. So I felt like I also liked that I felt like I, I was both scared, but also intrigued and also wanted to do research after the movie was over a bit about what we talked about and what was shown on the show. So on that, we, we talked about, that's my favorite horror movie in terms of what was my, the scariest. I think those don't always align. I would say the scariest, and again, this is, has a bit of a crossover, uh, is Event Horizon. Hmm. Where, uh, have you hmm. seen Event Horizon? Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's, I've only heard I, of do it. You, do, you, do you think that counts as horror, Pete? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Event Horizon is, it's, uh, it is definitely a scary movie. Tell me a it's bit about it. I've, I've never seen it. Paul Anderson, not Paul Thomas Anderson. Paul W. S. Anderson. Yeah, yeah. It's it's essentially they go on a ship and uh, a ship has been kind of lost. It, it's I may have blacked this out, so I may say some things wrong. But uh, they recover a ship that has been lost for a while. They find it adrift, and it turns out that it has been drifting through hell, like you do. And it actually was able to go to hell and come back, and all of the people on it went completely insane and. The we get like kind of glimpses of the kind of hellscape that they went through. Sam Neill like rips his face off at the end of that movie. I guess that's a spoiler, <laughs> but it's it's scary. <laughs> There's a part where he like one guy like rips out his eyes and he's like, "Where we're going, we don't need eyes to see." And I yeah. think that's like gonna be burned on my eyes for oh, the rest boy. of my life. Like, it's really really bad. It's super definitely some imagery. It's really intense. That tells so me about what everything I needed to know about that movie. So what was your scariest movie? My scariest movie is recent. It's uh, A Quiet Place. I think it's the perfect horror movie. Uh, it's got all the elements. It's got the use of the the thing you can't quite see. It's got sound used in the most perfect way. I love A Quiet Place. I think it's the best horror movie. It's not my favorite because The Orphanage still wins, but it's, I think, one of the most perfect recent horror movies. Yeah, some really cool filmmaking in that one. Pete, Pete, what do you think is your, your kind of scariest, scariest one? Um, so I don't know if it's my scariest one. I'm Like I said, I'm this weirdo that doesn't really get scared by movies. But as a kid, um, the movies that scared me the most were movies I hadn't actually seen because I, I felt like they were too scary. I could never see them. Uh, but I would see the VHS covers at the uh, video store. So as I like would walk the aisles looking for movies, which I still do today, it's like, you know, just cruising through Netflix and never picking anything. Um, there was three movies. I remember them specifically. Uh, one of them was Hellraiser because it had a uh, pinhead who is like this, you know, gruesome looking guy. I think it, it, it kind of goes back to the event horizon of like the hellish, scary imagery. Um, but the other two were... Evil Dead 2 and Dead Alive, um, both of which are kind of comedies in a weird way. Like, they're incredibly gory and um, gross and disturbing. So, you know, the the VHS cover of Evil Dead 2 is like this skull with eyeballs that's kind of looking at you in this weird way. And the cover of Dead Alive is this lady that's like peeling back her lips and there's like a skull in her mouth that it's just really weird. Um 
But so I just assumed they were the scariest movies of all time because they had scary uh, VHS covers. But then it turns out they they are comedies. And then I saw them as teens and then I, or as a teen and was like, um, kind of blown away in a whole different sense uh, that you could make these weird like Looney Tunes esque horror movies with tons of gore and stuff. Um, so I don't know if they're the scariest, but they definitely had the, the scariest impact on me as a kid. I remember just being haunted by the imagery of those VHS covers. Yeah, that 100% happened to me with Chucky. I have never seen Chucky or any of the Chucky sequels in my entire life. But as a kid, I would walk down Blockbuster. And if I saw Chucky out of the corner of my eye on the little VHS stand, I wouldn't sleep for days. I just that the cover, just seeing Chucky on the cover just terrified me. So that definitely happened to me. I had that experience too. Totally. I think it goes back to the Jaws thing is that like, you know, you just assume that's the scariest movie of all time. And whatever you're thinking up in your head is probably way scarier and more personal than whatever the movie could actually deliver. So, you know, it goes back to that. The fear of the the unknown is always kind of the scariest thing. You have in your notes here, I'm going to murder this. Um, Ami, you're all here for me. Ami Dagala. <laughs> the Ami Dagala and you. How wrong was I? Okay, you were wrong, but not as wrong as I was when I was like, I don't know, it was seven years old because I oh, thought Okay, that- oh, okay, okay. Not as wrong as I was as a youth. Okay, whatever. No, How do you actually it's, say? It's, it's amygdala. Oh. But that's what I used to call Luke and Leia's mother. I used to say Princess Amygdala. Don't get me started on the prequels because I'm going to go into a rage blackout. I've had a glass of wine and I'm, I'm going to go into a glass. Queen of Migdala. I guess. Oh. Princess. I, I'm sure Amygdala. knowing. Queen Amygdala sure of Naboo. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. So there's parts of your brain that are very active when there is um, something that frightens you present. And that's well, the first one's the amygdala. Um, which we had a lot of fun pronouncing just now. Um, the amygdala is the one that reacts first when something threatening comes into focus. So things that your amygdala might find threatening are things like uh, long claws, sharp teeth, um, the dark in general, when you hear a noise that you weren't expecting, just things that are a threat immediately. And so this uh, is what brings up all your your fight, flight, and freeze responses, which I'll get into in a second. Um, and if the amygdala was in charge, you'd be scared about like 95% of, of the time. But luckily, the hippocampus, like a hippopotamus, um, is, is it's got your back. Um, because it's basically what talks to the amygdala in your brain and says, um, Dave, that's just a picture of a cat meowing. It's not actually going to eat us. So we can continue with our lunch. It's what, it's what calms your body down and tells it this is not an actual threat. Um, we're safe. And so those two working together are kind of like what are in action when we're watching horror movies. The amygdala sees the scary stuff, starts reacting, pumps up your body with all these wonderful chemicals and gets you ready to go. And then the hippocampus tells you, you know, you can enjoy this experience. You're not actually about to die. So there's, is there a, is there a benefit to, to fear? I mean, other than hypervigilance or... Um, well, fear is meant to keep you safe. So when these uh, threats show up, um, the amygdala pumps you up in case you need to run. So that's the fight response. Um, when you need to fight something, um, you know, may- maybe if it's a bear, you run. But if it's another person, you fight. Um, but sometimes 
um, it doesn't actually make you know, you know, a better fighter or a faster runner. It actually makes you freeze up. And that can be the best response at the time, or it might uh, not be. But it just, it's just how your body decides to react in that moment. So those are the three basic responses to fear. I was going to say for our listeners, if you do encounter a bear, <laughs> you're actually not supposed to run. You're just supposed to make yourself very big. <laughs> And raise your hands up and not actually run from them because they are uh, inescapable and death is imminent. That's that's why I don't go into the woods, Bree. Like, let's talk about uh, bringing a date to a scary movie. Isn't that kind of supposed to be considered like a a thing that you're you're supposed to do is that you like bond over shared trauma? I don't think that's the reason. I mean, Pete, did anybody ever give you that advice? Like take a girl to a horror movie or take your date to a Uh, horror movie? I took my... I have been on a date to a horror movie. It was not a scary movie. It it was it was a horror movie. It was not a scary horror movie. It was The Tingler, which is like a 1940s movie that is really goofy. Uh with uh Vincent Price. It's it's a kind of ridiculous one. I highly recommend it. Um but I think the idea, right, is that like, you know, you get scared and you cling together and snuggle. You get a little bit more, you get closer out of fear. It's it's like an excuse just to cuddle at some point, right? Um, yeah, so that's why people give the advice because, well, you know, people get all scared and they want to cuddle to somebody for safety. Um, there's a little bit of science that kind of may back up the idea of taking a date to the movies, but it's not so much protection. So when you're having this physical fear response, your body is in a state of arousal, which doesn't necessarily mean that you're ready for sexy times, even though that's what um, freshmen in my Psych 101 classes will think. It, it just means that your body is, you know, heart racing, adrenaline's up, and you're ready to do something with your body. Now, because the horror movie is not actually going to kill you and you don't actually have to fight anybody, um, you kind of have to sometimes put that energy elsewhere, which is why some people think that taking a date to a horror movie will put people in the mood. Don't know that that's any kind of fact, but that's kind of the reasoning behind it, scientifically speaking. I want to take everybody on a little bit of a history lesson, not too long, but I take everybody on a little bit of a history lesson about the tradition of getting scared for fun. The belief in ghosts or spirits that live among, amongst us are things that you can find in every culture, from Mesopotamia to Egypt to Greece to Rome to China and India. Everybody has had stories about uh, the people are dead except lol not really and they're coming back and they're angry about it they have all kind of had this but i actually found this is actually really funny uh if anyone knows the movie gremlins sure mogwai is actually based on a yeah. chinese legend uh about how mating season is triggered by rain uh triggered by rain they take on different forms to trick their victims an ancient chinese story tells the tale of a man who brings a beautiful maiden home However, he spies her through the bedroom window, and instead of seeing his beautiful girl, he sees a demon painting her features. And I like to picture it looking exactly like Gremlins. <laughs> Gizmo just stuff. hanging out. Yeah, Gizmo in like a beautiful gown, painting, painting. I makeup. can see it. He dressed up like Rambo in Gizmo or in Gremlins too. So uh, you know, why not a beautiful gown? Fairy tales are also super spooky, and the original's fairy tale. Um, spoiler alert, Little Red Riding Hood super doesn't survive. She just gets eaten and it's like the end. Like, could she's just eaten by the wolf and you're just like, oh. That'll teach like, the kids. Yeah, you're like, bad times for you. And it just happens. Like, a lot of these stories were really 
uh, kind of really scary, but the goal of them wasn't to be frightening. It was, I mean, I'm sure it was to be a little bit frightening, but the goal of them was to impart some sort of information or knowledge or like, hey, don't wander in the woods because wolves are around and will super eat you. It's enough of a problem in literature that you're like, it had to have happened a lot. Like, to have just made its way into mythology where people are like, all right, we have to write this down. We have to write this down and we have to make sure all of our kids learn about it. This is a, is a friggin' problem because people kept getting eaten by wolves going to their grandmother's house. And, sure. You know, I've yeah. seen The Grey. That's a horror movie about being eaten by wolves. Oh, my God. It's, I've never I've never heard of that. It's, uh, when did it come out? Uh, it's with the... the it was like a couple years ago. It's um, it's, a, it's not a great movie. I don't recommend it. The The trailer was like uh, Liam Neeson punching a wolf in the face. And so I expected it to be a lot more action packed than it actually was. Um, and instead, it's just a bunch of people getting chased by wolves and slowly eaten over the course of, you know, 90 minutes or whatever. Can I tell you that <laughs> as soon as you said Liam Neeson <laughs> punching a wolf in the face, I was like on my phone immediately like, let me look up this movie. I'm going to fucking ticket to that that was the trailer so i was like oh man i'm ready to see liam neeson punch a wolf in the face and probably more wolves not just this one wolf because it's the trailer turns out it was just that one that was the only wolf punching in the entire movie but still still an okay movie false advertising not enough wolf punching so what i'm saying is uh, i was yeah just you know modern day uh little red riding hood as played by liam neeson i'm pretty sure that's what it was based on um, the gray. Go see it. So we've been telling each other scary stories for a really long time, and there's been spooky stuff basically forever, but when do you think that horror as a genre, as we know it, more or less today, when did that start? Uh, I definitely think you start to see it uh, come out when uh, gothic literature started to emerge, and the gothic literature is, is considered a sort of subset of, of, of romantic literature, not uh not romances in like love stories although they can be but uh romances in uh the kind of literary genre which focus a lot more on <clears throat> like emotions and feelings and 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 uh you know and people like really that. going through it yeah people <laughs> going through it if you're going through it you might be in a ro- in a romantic novel in a romance yeah. novel um but uh, Horace Walpole wrote what's considered the first uh, gothic novel with a uh, castle on of Ontrero. And that's kind of considered as like the kind of emergence of this sort of really darker, darker tradition of, of sort of scary things uh, for the sake of being scary and, and spooky in literature. And so what's considered gothic really? What's included in something that you'd say, Oh, that's a gothic novel. Um, they, they use a lot of, um, like supernatural things and like dark, dark foreboding, dark forest, dark castles. Um, they often had castles. They didn't have to, uh, but a lot of them did. Or they would have something like a like a monastery or a castle. Uh, they'd have really extreme scenery, like fog, like like a dark and stormy night. Uh, <laughs> that would be it's like really, yeah, like really, really Classic. kind of extreme. Yeah, yeah, and uh, so things like like omens and curses, uh, people having visions, um, the. Uh, magic and spirit and monsters, uh, non-living things coming to life. <clears throat> Those would be kind of considered some, some sort of Gothic occult elements. They often tended to have, also often tended to have a, uh, women fainting a lot. <laughs> uh, 
just, just falling over. Yeah, just fainting dramatically all over the place. I don't know. Uh, and and like a, a, they also a lot of them had the the villain or the um, the protagonist um, or the villains uh, p- people the characters would uh, often sort of fall victim of their uh, they'd orchestrate their own demise. So like an example of that is um, uh, Mary Shelley. She's not she didn't write the first graphic novel, but she's the one that hopefully you all know with Frankenstein. Uh, she, you know, uh, Frankenstein, the the protagonist. Well, I guess he's a. I would say maybe the monster is really the protagonist. Anyways, the main guy. He basically the orchestrates doctor. the doctor. Actually, I think he dropped out. I have a feeling. <laughs> That's I think true. He, I don't think he actually completed his doctorate, so I don't know if I feel good about him, <laughs> Doctor Frankenstein. Anyway, yeah. So he, anyway, so he, um, he kind of orchestrates his own doom. So he, he kind of everything kind of comes around and, and comes back to get him in the end. And 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 there was also a lot of really extreme scenery in that. Like they end up at the North Pole at one point, just like you do. And there's a lot of things like that. So that's kind of a a, a very sort of kind of typical, typical structure. And you can see like things still today have it, you know, like a really dark, spooky, abandoned church or an abandoned castle. Those, those are really dark, scary elements that kind of come out of the, the Gothic tradition. There's something about Edgar Allan Poe, who was a spooky bitch. I'm just going to come out and say He was a spooky, spooky bitch. He was the OG spooky bitch. He wrote a lot of your spookiest bitchiest writings <laughs> edgar spooky bitch poe <laughs> yeah as he was known amongst his friend he's um i think we we talked a little bit in the in the pre-discussion all that uh adrian you actually said that you thought that the raven was scarier than stephen king's it the raven as in if you want to look at the raven as an antagonist or as the monster of the story um or or the tormentor right He's two things. He's consistent and persistent. Like, I don't know if those are separate, actually, now that I think about it. But he's going, he, it gives me, and, I, and I'm here sexualizing and gendering the, the raven. It could have been a lady raven, just the same. But the raven is going to stay and is going to torment consistently. When you think of it, this bitch, sorry, I'm a cursing a lot here. He shows up every 27 years. What kind of lazy part-time horror is that he shows up every 27 years does like a variety of tricks that he thinks of half of them are crap um and eats some kids and then goes home for 27 years that's like if 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 i'm gonna pick something to torment me and and actually be scared by it's the one that's gonna stay there my entire life just on my window tapping and just driving me insane slowly that's that's my argument for why the raven is scarier than it. Relentless. It's a relentless. relentless. That's so the it's, word. A rel- it's a relentlessness that you find that's like kind of that's kind of frightening. I was gonna say that's the thing about like zombies, right? Like the old school zombies, anyway. That they're not especially fast. They're just super relentless. So like they'll just keep coming. You can't kill them. They just they just keep coming at you, no matter what you do. Uh, are there any of our kind of horror tropes that we think we encounter a lot in horror films that we want to touch on i mean definitely if you're under the age of 30 and you're having sex you're gonna die that's that's like a rule of horror movies right for sure 
That and never split up. It never, never works out. It's never a good plan. Yeah, I'm just trying to think about how much of that is from like actual movie tropes or how much of it's from the Hayes Code and 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 Hollywood uh, when that kind of came out. Uh, I just wonder how much of that was like, okay, well, we want to show girls in sexual situations, but we we have to find a way to appeal to the Hayes Code that we have to like make them die. Like, Might be part of it. Certainly, like you look at a movie like the creature from the black lagoon and you have you know sexy ladies swimming in water and this monster is like literally fawning all over them uh in these gorgeous underwater shots uh there's there's definitely some some sexy stuff going on there uh as we found out in the shape of water very oh, sexy. yeah very sexy we well, actually I'm had a bit of a, that up. i was gonna say Audrey, i think we had a bit of a debate about do you think the shape of water it's horror or is it like i think it's i think it's romantic first and foremost and i I think um, it, it takes the horror elements and and turns them on their head and uses those to tell a, a romantic story. Just using all these little factors like, you know, the, the, the creature from the lagoon and um, the secret experiment and the men in black and all those elements. Um, but Guillermo del Toro has been involved in some really, really good horror movies. Um, I jotted these down. So he was... Um, the director of The Devil's Backbone, which is another orphanage-related Spanish horror movie. Um, not Backdoor, Backbone, what did I say? It's called El, Espin- El Espinazo del Diablo is what it's called. It's like the spine of the devil. Um, and he was also a producer in The Orphanage. So I think he's got a thing for haunted murder orphanages. I don't know. we got to ask him about that. I was just going to say a fun Guillermo fact is a lot of the crew on season one of Shadowhunters actually uh, worked on the strain with Guillermo. Um, And one of the producers who directed the finale of season one uh, was a producer on Shape of Water. What? Yeah. What? That's crazy. A lot of, a lot of, because Guillermo spends a lot, I guess spends a lot of time in, uh, yeah. In Toronto, uh, Selick, who directed a bunch of episodes in season three, was also an AD on like um, I don't know a bunch of uh, Guillermo stuff. Now let's talk a little bit about how how horror can reflect things like uh, where we are as a society. Yeah, I mean, I think the best example of that currently is what Jordan Peele is doing with his horror movies. Um, get out and then what's the recent one is it us us is that what yeah. Called? us yeah um because he's going especially with get out um i haven't seen us yet so i can't speak to it but he's he's tapping into what's going on with the racial um tensions and how even people who feel themselves very very liberal still have all these racist undertones in their day-to-day life and he was kind of calling that out in Get Out. Um, so that's definitely one of the recent examples of the cultural consciousness going into horror movies. The fun about genre is it lets you kind of use an allegory to talk about something that might be harder to talk about otherwise. Um, so I think horror is one of the best ways to do that because it's the things we are most afraid of are always, you know, uh, wrapped up in something else. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's not just about like, I don't know. It's not, not just about invasion. It's like 
oh, zombies. Like, you can kind of, you can disguise it as a sort of something else. Like, a- Well, even, you know, back to the, like, the very beginning of horror movies, uh, I think a lot of it stemmed from, like, German Expressionism, which came out of World War One. Uh, everybody was feeling really grim and down because all this stuff they had witnessed. So they were making these really kind of spooky, dark movies. Um, and it's kind of what you were saying too about the seventies with the sexual revolution. And then suddenly there was all these slasher movies about sexual promiscuity and how that's going to get you killed by, you know, Jason or whatever. Um, so yeah, I think it, it's kind of whatever the fear of the day is, uh, certainly plays into it and can have some thought provoking stuff. Why do we, why do we crave horror stories? Why do you think that that's so important to us as a society and as a culture? And Adri, there was a, a Stephen King quote. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go with the short version because it is kind of a little essay he wrote on why we crave horror stories, but um, he wrote um, the mythic horror movie, like the sick joke has a dirty job to do. It deliberately appeals to all that is worse in us. It is morbidity unchained, our most base instincts let free, our nastiest fantasies realized. And it all happens fittingly enough in the dark. So I like that. He's kind of talking about sitting in the movie theater and just letting the the nasty stuff in you have fun in an enclosed safe space. And then you get to go home and be normal again. Do we need that level of darkness entertained on a semi-regular basis and does horror serve that purpose of like stoking that fire that's within us <laughs> not to get too dark but like you know there's this is there this kind of like horror monster within us that needs to be kind of like feed me like uh <laughs> what's that what's the um the the plant the that like each little shop of horrors yeah yeah I was like feed me like it doesn't is it like sitting within us like it needs like a base level of of like okay all right you've consumed enough people getting their heads chopped off for today and like sure. that's what you need <laughs> that's what you need you know I wonder how much of that is like important to us as like people with anything uh, any form of kind of storytelling the point of especially horror or sci-fi or fantasy any of that it's using genre to kind of through allegory or whatever to tell stories that reflect our modern life and the things we're afraid about that maybe we don't want to you know confront head-on to kind of obfuscate it in such a way that it makes it a little more palatable um so maybe we don't want to talk about you know death by cancer but we can talk about death by you know monsters or something that's a little bit easier to handle i think kind of along those lines it's a way for us to work out all of these more mundane fears that we have and maybe you know social concerns or existential crises that everybody has and kind of explore them in their ridiculous extreme um to work out our feelings in in this kind of safe space i think that's the purpose of going and and trying to consume scary stuff on purpose for our drinking game for this episode you recommended christine can you talk to me a little bit about why you recommended that movie yes i can i so i looked through the mentions to see what other people were mentioning and somebody mentioned halloween and it and i had just tweeted about christine i don't even remember why uh i'm just a big john carpenter fan so i was combining john carpenter and stephen king uh, Christine is a movie 
not written by Stephen King, but based on a Stephen King book uh, by John Carpenter, uh, who did Halloween. Um, and it is a goofy movie about a car that is uh, like possessed by, I don't know, evil. Uh, and uh, I don't know if that's the best choice, but it was the first one that came to mind. So, oh, my God. Is uh, it um, is it somewhat like rubber? It's kind of yeah. It, rubber is a little bit more goofy. Christine is like takes itself a little bit more seriously. Okay. It knows how dumb it is, but it's not. Uh, it's a legit movie. Like there's there's a confrontation with this car, you know. Like um, and there's a whole genre of this to some degree, right? Like Duel, uh, Steven Spielberg's first movie is about kind of a scary car that's chasing somebody down. The difference is in Duel, theoretically, someone is driving the car. In Christine, the car is you know just possessed and evil. Mm-hmm. I think I'm wondering what, what do you know what year Christine came out? Uh, I want to say maybe the mid '80s. Here I can look that up. Okay, so that's kind of an interesting thing. I mean, it's, it's, I wonder how much of it is like. I feel like the '70s were like like so. So horror went through this like really campy time, and then it became really really scary with like the shine. Like at least for me personally, when you 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 think about things like the omens or like the exorcist. Or like Carrie or Halloween, like like the horror movies got super super scary, and then I wonder if they like they like came again and they like got a little campy again. Like everybody kind of loosened up and we're like, oh, okay, let's we took it too far. Let's be a little bit, let's have a little bit more fun and and be a little less like soul crushingly terrifying. You I know, think that's like, movies in general. Like you look at the late sixties and seventies, kind of as the studio system fell and you kind of got. Uh, a little bit more rise of like the film school brat type stuff. Uh, and you see, yeah, movies like The Exorcist, which is like really this weird art film made into a horror movie. Um, like there's a whole, that whole scene where he's just kind of running around the track or whatever. It's just, all those movies were very slow and kind of spooky in their own way. Uh, and I think 80s, yeah, you started to get more into like, I guess more Spielberg type stuff or John Carpenter, which is a little bit more fun and campy and, and uh, a little bit more popcorny, um, so yeah, yeah. yeah I was I gonna say, yeah, I was gonna say, cause, like, I wonder about like to contrast it something like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is like feels like a little too, like a little too real, like yeah, like oh, okay, like just too like the 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 scare is coming from inside the house kind of thing. We were talking about how before it was like it's your mom, it's your dad, it's your kid, like that kind of a thing, and then it was like. Okay. All right. You know what? It's like no more people. It's now your car, and like maybe For things. Sure. Yeah. Like let's let's refocus on, on making things kind of fun. Yeah. Also, Stephen King was just on a lot of drugs in the eighties, so who knows what he was doing? <laughs> yeah, it's funny. He has I have no reading. idea what he was doing. <laughs> I know it's funny. I was reading an interview with him about it too, and they proposed like kind of a plot change a little bit to him, and he was just like he like they were like, oh hey, like this kind of makes sense for the character. Like this th- is this what you intended? And he's just like, I was on a lot of cocaine. So like <laughs> it could have happened like, sure. Like, yeah, maybe. And they're like, oh, it wasn't intentional. It was like, no, like <laughs> nothing about was... my life was intentional. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know. Um, okay. So one thing we can do to close is um, each of us can say the, th- the three rules of horror movies from Scream. And then you can just go into the outro. Wait, we each say the three like horror, Scream. like we say it like, like, like a chant. <laughs> No, like one of us says each one for you, like not like a creepy chant thing. <laughs> All right, we're, we're going to capture you into a ritual, Pete. This is going to happen. Right. Here okay. we go. I'm ready. 
we're going to chop the hell out of this. We're going to make us all sound so smart. <laughs> chop us down to 45 minutes of delicious horror goodness. See, this is so much more smooth than the first time we tried this. You have no oh idea. Oh my God. You have no, no idea. This has gone great. Yeah, yeah. It's just funny. It's a th- it's funny thing is that like, I actually don't like scary things and I don't like violent things. And that's why like I just, I really don't seek it out. I have not yet seen it too. And I know I want to for for our my, my boy Isaiah. <laughs> I want to see yeah. him I know for I want sure. to see it for Isaiah Mustafa, but like part of me is like, I'm like psyching myself up. I'm like, okay, I'm going to get real drunk. And, uh, but okay. All right. So, uh, thank you for listening to us ramble for approximately an hour, uh, about horror movies in general and about why we like being scared. If you find yourself wanting more, you can subscribe to us on iTunes and Spotify at what's the obsession with. You can also follow us on Patreon for some extra fun perks at patreon.com slash what the obsession and, Twitter at BasicStuffMag and The Obsession Pod. And Pete, where can we follow you at? Uh, I am on Twitter at TatoBins, and uh, I think that's basically it. I don't know. Instagram, (laughs) also TatoBins. TatoBins. What's the story behind TatoBins? My dog's name was Tato, and my last name is Binswanger. And that was my first AIM screen name, and it's been my (laughs) screen name on everything ever since. So uh, That's branding. Goes way back. That's strong branding. Yeah. Thank you for thank you for joining the Crazy Ride, Pete. No, thank you for having me. This has been a lot of fun. We'll have to do it again sometime. And actually, actually, I think the very next episode we're going to record is uh, with Holly and Zoe, who are also writers on Shadowhunters. Uh, I am sensing a theme here. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, but they also are very into true crime and are are uh, experienced on that. And Zoe apparently has a a serial killer pen pal, which is what she led with when I said, I have a podcast. And she said, I'm going to stop you there. I have a serial killer pen pal. And I was like, uh, it's true. <laughs> she was writing to him or getting letters from him while we were in the writer's room in season three. And everybody's like, she's like, yeah, I'm going home over spring break or Thanksgiving or whatever. I'm going to meet this serial murderer and be in a prison cell with him alone. And we're like, Zoe, Zoe is not a large or intimidating uh, lady. She is, uh, you know, but she was confident and uh, she's, you know, more power too. I don't know if she ever did meet him. I think she did. Uh, I don't know. You'll have to ask her. Well, <laughs> that sounds super scary and also not safe. But, no. <laughs> well, like, we'll leave that at that and then hopefully we can kind of touch bases on that. Um, if you listen to our podcast and you want to tweet along with us, you can hashtag the obsession pod to share your thoughts. And until next time.